It's one of my, I love that song, man, getting our eyes on Christ and keeping him there. What a challenge. Um, you guys ever been, uh, I don't know if, uh, as a child, if you ever did this, but uh, where you show up and uh, something's going on in the house and you're like, hey, mom, hey, dad, did you know that so, so, no, no, they did over here? Any, any ever do that? And good, don't raise your hands, that's dangerous. Did it ever happen for you that you were like really excited about pointing out some flaw in your brother or sister and then you, you realized that in the process of doing that you got in trouble as well? My brother and sister and I were a little bit better than that. Um, we were the kind of children that made up stories to cover up stuff. And uh, we actually confessed this particular one at one Thanksgiving uh, dinner with all of the children. We were all married at the time, which, by the way, for young people, it's important that you're married before you start sharing some of the stuff that your parents ignored while you were children. Uh, but this one particular event, uh, both of our, all of our folks were gone. Our parents were, were not at the house, and we were young, and there a fight had in, ensued in the home. And uh, in the event of the outcome of the fight, there was blood. Um, because turns out when you're swinging cowboy boots at one another um, and one of the heels gets knocked off, there's nails. And um, so there was a slight uh, wound that was applied to one of, the, of us. And in the attempt to, to protect ourselves, we were really worried about the outcome because we knew at that point all of us were in trouble. And so um, we went and found an old tuna can and crunched it up and spread the blood on it from the wound, and for 12 plus years, that was the story. Isn't that horrible? It's horrible. That was not one of the times that we pointed out the flaws of our siblings, uh, but many other times we would come engaged with a, a conversation with my folks, and um, I would we would be pointing out something that the other had done, and in the event as the truth came out somehow we would be in trouble as well because we had revealed something in our heart at that moment that was not good and um, my parents would often see right through it my children were not like that ever because they weren't like me i guess that's not true but i'll leave them off the off the block yeah. Hey, Lee, could you possibly turn these lights on for me? I just, it, my Bible is a little darker than. Ah, oh, hey, there are words in here. I can see them now. Uh, we actually, you know what I love about this? We actually get to see uh, the disciples do this, right? And we love the disciples. Don't you guys love the disciples? Yes, we love the disciples. We love, we love that God chose them to use as the example and not us, right? Aren't you glad that it's their names and their uh, experiences that are written about and not ours? Um, but here they are, and, and I love John's heart because 
he's experiencing the, the, the people in this process who he doesn't feel are respecting Jesus properly and he's addressing the issue. Um, and it just makes sense, right? After having come down off the mountain, having seen Jesus transfigured and him, Peter, James, and John going with them, that they're kind of the important ones. They're the, they're the special disciples. So it, it makes sense that they would be the ones pointing out the flaws of others around them. And, and this is in that moment, I believe, what we see. And uh, so uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 38. And we will read through verse 41. Mark chapter 9, verse 38. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward, uh, will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And I, I titled the sermon this week, uh, the, that phrase, I'm helping. And I don't know if you've heard us use this or not, but it's, it's kind of a joke um, because there's moments, in, at least in my marriage, where my bride needs me to listen and not speak. Uh, solutions into her problems. And it took me a long time to figure that out because when she was sharing with me the, the issues in her life, I felt like as a good husband, I would help her and I would try and fix them. And there are times where that's not helpful. And so now when I start to do that and I realize that I'm going the wrong direction, I actually learned this from Don Anderson, but I didn't want to throw him under the bus. So I don't mention his name. Um, but, but he actually taught me that it's really helpful in that moment when you realize that you're engaged in this process of trying to help your bride and it's not helping to say, I'm helping. So it's a joke and we both laugh because we know it's not actually helping. I believe that at this moment, that would have been a good response for John to say, I'm helping because he comes to Jesus with this concern, Right. He's letting Jesus know about rogue disciples who are, out, who are out casting out demons in his name, but they're not approved because they're not in their group. They're not part of the inner circle. They haven't walked with them. They haven't taught. They have not been blessed by John or Jesus or Peter and James. Isn't it interesting that that's what he's pointing out is that, hey, Jesus, there are people doing things in your name and they're not following us. They're not following us. Anything wrong with that particular statement for John to say? Yeah, a little bit. Who are they supposed to be following? Jesus, not the disciples. But John, he's one of the chosen ones. I, I love this particular aspect because there's a good chance that James and John are in this together. Uh, in fact, you'll, uh, this is one of the few times that you actually see John mentioned individually. Uh, in the Luke passage, you actually see James and John both helping. And there's other times where we see James and John together doing wonderfully disciple-ish things. And that's combining disciple and foolish together. That's disciple-ish. Making up words as we go here. But look in Luke chapter 9 and watch what happens with this. I love this story. It's, it's one of those great moments where, where you can see their leadership 
uh, is beginning to bud and they're starting to exercise this, this desire to be, uh, you know, leaders of the church. Um, and it's in Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 51. And uh, when the days uh, drew near uh, for him to be taken up, he set his face. This is Jesus. He set his face uh, to go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans uh, to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? That's good church leadership right there. <laughs> but he turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village. You see, James and John, they're passionate about Jesus. They're passionate about following the Lord. And here we see them helping. So it, it, it's not uncommon for them to desire to help. In fact, shortly in our text in Mark, we're going to see them enter into a discussion with Jesus again and be rebuked. But we won't get there today. Do you guys ever feel like you need to help God? Help him with his church. Help him with his plan. Help him with your discipleship process. Don't you know? I, I do. I regularly do. In fact, I love the description we could do. You could say, Lord, uh, if you just let me explain it to you one more time. And, and that way it sounds Christian instead of us complaining. If you say explain, doesn't that sound more spiritual than to complain about it again? We, I think we do that often. We think that we're helping. We're, we're making efforts to help. And I love that God's patient with us. What's Jesus' response to his disciples' concern about these rogue disciples who are, who are casting out demons in his name? Uh, he, he just says, don't stop them. Because they're not going to do something in my name and then soon afterwards speak evil of me. He goes, what's the problem with what? I mean, why, why are you having a problem with them doing this? Um, and I think it's out of a good heart. Ish, I think their 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 focus is on Jesus. They really believe that that the they've got to come through Jesus and they got to go through the process and and that this this club that they're involved in, um, it's probably because they're practicing what they've known as a religious organization, what they've experienced in their in their groups. That if you don't go through the right uh, discipleship process, if you don't have the right rabbi, then then you're really not. Uh, in a proper setting and, and probably uh, just out of line. It, in fact, it's interesting um, because there's another text all the way back in Numbers. Turn in your Bibles back to Numbers. This is not an uncommon thing to happen in leadership uh, structures, if you will. Um, we see this in with Moses, actually, all the way back. He and Joshua are dealing with some issues in, in Israel. Um, and I love it. Uh, Numbers chapter 11, it's where the people of Israel complain against God's provision of manna. So they're like, okay, Lord, we're kind of getting tired of the miraculous bread falling from the sky. Okay, just let that sink in for a moment. They're worn out from the miraculous bread that God's providing for them, that's keeping them alive, and they want meat. And so the Lord says, you're right. My culinary dessert has been inappropriate, and so you will have meat. 
not just for one day, not just for five days, not even for a week, but you're going to eat wheat for an entire month until it comes out of your nostrils and it is a putrid stench to you. It's a wonderful passage. Around verse 16, God says, all right, we gotta, we're going to make a change. Draw, bring in the elders, Moses, because I'm going to take some of the spirit that I have on you and I'm going to put it on these elders and they're going to help you lead. And we're going to see that start to happen. And so Moses and the elders, they gather and they go through this process. And we pick up the story uh, this morning in verse 25. Because that has happened. And the Lord came down and, and met them in a tent. And then we pick up in verse 25 of Numbers 11. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, my Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Joshua was worried that these, that these two uh, elders that God had obviously put his spirit on, weren't following, they weren't following the protocol. They were outside of Moses' direction, and therefore they were rogue. And, and so Joshua was trying to help Moses. But what Joshua couldn't see was something that Moses had seen through God, through the direction of the Lord, that the intent was, the goal was, the hope was, that every person in Israel would experience the presence of God, the spirit of God. And Moses's view of his leadership was actually correct at this point. And he said, it's not about me. This is about the Lord. And so he celebrated it. But again, Joshua was trying to help. He was concerned about Moses' leadership. And I believe the disciples are in the same exact spot. They're concerned that these rogue disciples, these rogue people are sharing Christ. They're, they're, they're casting out demons in his name and they weren't part of their club. I think the challenge for me in, 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 in this process is that Jesus is more than just a name. It's more than just a title. It's more than just a spiritual experience. Uh, I mean, even look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter one. Paul seems to understand this in such a profound way that even though there's people who are preaching Christ for the wrong reason, he celebrates this. Uh, look in, in uh, uh, Philippians chapter one, verse 12. He, uh, Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What's his focus? It's about the gospel going forward. It's about the truth of who Jesus is, the good news getting out to people. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest uh, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Can you imagine? Here's Paul in prison, and people are doing things to spite him. And his focus is so clear. His purpose is so uh, uh, obvious and passionate and central to him. That he says, I rejoice when these people do this to harm me. Because what's most important is happening. And that is that the gospel is going out. That the truth of the word of God is being shared with people. Isn't that incredible? I I wish that we had that. That same kind of ability to rejoice when the gospel's going out, even at our expense. Uh, Jesus is more than a name. We, we know that as well because of Acts. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, we actually see an episode with the sons of Sceva, right? We, we all know this passage. We, we've, we've read it here. You've heard of the, where, where these uh, 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 Jewish leaders, these, these uh, uh, demon, they were actually casting out demons. That's what they were doing. And they decided that this thing with Jesus was working, so they're going to start using Jesus' name. It's a great story. Um, And so uh, we'll just read through it real quick so you can see what happens in this process. Uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them mastered all of them and overpowered them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jew, uh, Jews and Greeks and fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord. Jesus was extolled. Jesus is more than just a name. And isn't it amazing that we're challenged by another passage I think that, you know, sometimes in our uh, religious experience, wouldn't you guys all like to have a, a, a system, a pattern? Do this, do that, it's done. Wouldn't that be awesome? Get up in the morning, read your Bible for five minutes, pray for three minutes, tell somebody in the church that you love them, and then tell somebody else that you run into during the rest of the day, hey, you should get to know Jesus, he's great. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was it? Oh, yes, it would. Let's just acknowledge this. We, we would all love it if that's what it meant to be a disciple. You guys aren't going with me on this. It's okay to be honest right now. 
The problem is, is we know that that's not true. We know that the Bible says there's much more to this. So the challenge for us is that when we start seeing religious stuff, we really want to reproduce it, don't we? Oh, that church had this many conversions. That church had this many baptisms. We prayed for healing and this person got healed. We want to try and reproduce what we see happening. In fact, I hear, I hear pastors, friends of mine, talk about how they, would, they want to be an Acts church. You know, there's part of that that's true. Yeah, I want to see the miracles happen that Jesus did. I'd love it if we could, if that kind of stuff, hey, if our handkerchief started healing people. It says that in Acts. But are you okay with the Roman persecution? Are you okay with the Jewish persecution? You can't have what happened in Acts. You can't have that moment without everything that was there. And so when we start looking at religion, when we start looking at the things that are happening around us, we can get very distracted by the external stuff. Jesus points this out in Matthew chapter 7. And I believe that this is a warning for us to be careful what we're focused on in the church. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's not just about proclaiming the name of Jesus. It's not just about coming to church on Sunday or professing to be a Christian. There's so much more. Jesus seems to think that there's this idea of a life that's lived in obedience. There's a life that's sacrificed. He referenced the fact that we got to take our take up our cross and follow him every day that we die to ourselves and he keeps sharing this with his disciples and in this moment as the disciples are focused on their club as the disciples are focused on who's in their group and who's not in their group Jesus turns to them and says whoever is not against us is for us he he turns the whole table on them and says why are you worried about what they're doing why are you focused on them at this moment they're clearly not the enemy that's not the point you're focused on the wrong stuff. And I don't know about you guys. Do we ever get focused on the wrong stuff in the church? Is there ever a point where we become so focused on our, our own selves or anything that's happening in the church that we actually start, I don't know, fighting? That never happens in the church. That can't happen in the church. We all love truth. So when somebody comes and confronts me, I'm like, oh, thank you so much. You are such a blessed child of God. Right? You know what's terrible is we're snickering. I had a, um, I, I am such a twit. Uh, you guys, if you guys knew what went through my head on a, on a week, you would never sit here on Sunday. Um. I had to confess a wrong attitude this week because I made an assumption about something that was happening. And by the grace of God, the people that were engaged in the process as I followed through with them, they, they straightened me out and they were loving and kind. And I'm just like, oh, again, 
really? How? I should know better than this. The point is that we get focused on the things of this earth. We get focused here. We get our eyes so wrapped up on the stuff that's going on around us, around our kingdom, our needs, uh, what's in it for us. I mean, heaven forbid if somebody doesn't respect me as a pastor. I could, uh, uh, really? Where's the battle that you and I face every day? Where's your battle? It's a spiritual war, isn't it? Look at what Ephesians chapter 6 says. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says this, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The battle that you and I are engaged in right now, it's not with one another. You guys, it's, it's really not even with the lost of this world. It's with the enemy and it's a spiritual war. And we can't fight that if we're, if we're sitting at home focused on ourselves. And that's probably, I think what Jesus was telling his disciples, he was challenging them. You guys, you're looking at the wrong stuff. You're worried about them. And there's a whole nother battle raging. There's a much bigger issue happening. And I want to, in the defense of the disciples, they didn't have Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection. They didn't have the spirit at this point to direct them to this stuff. So let's not be too hard on them. They didn't have Ephesians written by Paul and and a lot of the things that we've seen that instructs us on what we keep our eyes on. The song that the team sang this morning about it is well with my soul. That speaks to to many different things that we experience in life, right? Not only Brandon. Not, not, not only those kind of things, but the, the financial issues that people in this church are experiencing in this great time of, of, of wealth. There's people in our church struggling financially. There are people in our church struggling emotionally, physically. Some of us are in a spiritual battle. We're not even aware. Of, we're kind of naive to that. We're not looking so often that it's hard for us to keep our eyes out and and look and see the needs of others because we're so consumed for ourselves. You know why driving is such a good illustration for me? I I know what it is. I'm a guy, right? And so when I get into my car, I have an outcome. I've got a location I'm going to, and I've got my mindset on that. That's where I'm going. And I honestly, I love driving my car. I just don't like driving with others. Okay, so when I do that, I have in my head, this is where I'm going and I want to get there as quickly as possible and get that part done. If I ever go out to drive away from people, then I don't mind taking my time. And it, it's very, very evident in my, in my response to people. Like it, it's really crazy how much different I drive when I'm just going out to hang out in my car and go and get some time away. And it doesn't matter if I'm going somewhere, but as soon as you put a destination or a goal in my head, now people are in my way. 
They're, they're, they're slowing me down. They're blocking my path. They're creating problems. And I find myself getting very, very agitated. What's interesting is that that can happen for me even in other areas of my life, which we don't like to talk about those very often because they're not nearly as safe as our driving experiences. For whatever reason, you guys are all okay with me and being a complete sinner behind the wheel. Okay, I'm hoping. Um, but, but what if that happened, I don't know, with, with family stuff? What if that happened at my home? Where I wanted to get something done and my bride wisely says, that's kind of disciple-ish. That's a new word. I like that word. That's going to work. But what if she looks at me and goes, that's just not a wise decision. I want it. Thus says the man of the house. (laughs) Try that at home. (laughs) I'll be a lot skinnier. (laughs) What happens when that part of our life runs into that? What happens when the battle gets set in those moments? It is imperative that we get our eyes back on Jesus and not on ourselves. Jesus is trying to redirect his disciples to say, stop worrying about our kingdom. Stop worrying about this, this, this thing that you think you have in following me because it's not what you think it is. It's going to cost you everything. There's nothing to hold on to in this earth to be in the kingdom of God. Paul seems to understand that when he writes in Philippians uh, chapter 3. Is it chapter 3? It's chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it, my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul seems to understand that this purpose, this focus, the, the direction that he received from the Lord is the high calling in his life. To live out what he's called to, to live out what, what scripture called him to be in being a follower of Jesus. I think to myself, okay, that's great, Shane. So, so what, what's the focus? How do we really get our eyes on what this means? And from, I'm a simple guy. I like simple. So my thought was, what, what hit my head was, love God, love others, right? Make it easy? Yes, no? <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound awesome? All right, church, this week we're just going to love God and love others. Go. Is it working? It's beautiful. It's simple, but it is not easy, is it? In, in fact, if Jesus would have just left that the command, if he would have just said, okay, go love God and love others, you guys figure it out, and um, I'm going to set an example for you. Get as close as you can. That would have been good. You guys don't seem enthralled by that. 
Why? Because we know what he says, right? We, we know what the scripture says. Matthew 5, um, Jesus just totally messes up our whole lives. Matthew 5, 43, he says this, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Jesus calls us into a relationship, into a lifestyle that reflects, that, that follows what God the Father did through Jesus by offering his son while we were still enemies. Jesus died for you and me on the cross. When he tells us to love God and love others, when Jesus is directing his disciples, say, you guys, it's not about them doing something in my name. It's about you loving one another. It's about you receiving and caring for one another as a body, as I'm doing for you. It's, it's about us being the, the disciples, the children of God and living the way that he is. It's his character. It's his design. It's, it's who he is and what he's called us to be. Do you pray for your enemies? Do you love your enemies? Do you see what he says in that text? It's beautiful. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Have you had a fight with your bride this weekend? Are you praying for? You guys, we have an opportunity for a potluck. We could, somebody could get their, get their nose bent in this two-hour experience together that we're going to have called church. What an opportunity for growth. Isn't that crazy? Pray, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. That's what Jesus lived. That's what he's called us to. Not, I, I, I think... And I want to be careful here because I do believe that we need to be able to identify truth and we need to know what the truth of the word of God is. And there's times where we say that's not true. And there are times to do that as a church, but we should be really, really careful for running around and going, Hey, yeah, but they're not, they're not, they're not in our membership. So we can't, we can't bless their ministry. They don't do Christianity like I do it, so we can't bless their ministry. They don't drive Mustangs. So clearly they don't have the same opportunities for growth that I do. You guys, we laugh about this, but my fear is that so often we are engaged in battle between one another. And we've lost sight of what God's called us to be as a church. We've lost sight of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. There will be conflict. There will be war in our relationships. There absolutely will be. But what's your focus? What's my focus? We are not... If, 
If we're worried about our kingdoms, if we're worried about us, then we have our eyes on the wrong thing. Jesus is just merely a religious badge at that point for you and for me. We got to get our eyes on the right stuff. We got to be about his stuff. He's called us to be a light. He's given us the privilege to be his body. What more do you want? What more do we want? Would you pray with me this morning? And I'm going to ask you just to take a few minutes of quiet reflection. And if in your life, your warfare, your battle has been protecting your flesh, your kingdom, yourself, whatever that is, I just want you to quietly do some work between you and the Lord. Whatever it is, you and the Lord take care of that. And then we'll pray together as we consider what God might have for us next. Father, I confess that uh, when I get angry, whether it's with my bride or with a brother or sister in the church, or if it's some clown I don't even know on the road, God, that I am exalting myself, that I am worried about my kingdom, that I'm demanding the throne. And Lord, that is not what we're about. That's not what you're about. It is definitely what my flesh is about. God, I want to follow you. Um, I think of Brandon this morning and having the diagnosis of cancer. There seems to be something about having our lives fragilely held in your hand that causes us to turn to you. And yet in the comfort of my home and in the fatness of my diet, in the bulge of my wallet, God, there are times where you're hard to see. Not because you're not present but because my eyes aren't on you. I pray this morning, Lord, as we consider what that means, that you would break our hearts, that you would soften them from the, from the stones that they are without you to the handcrafted clay that they are with you, and that you would make us into vessels, God, that are meant, purposed, and useful for your hands to use to exalt your kingdom, to exalt your name, and to share the light of the gospel in this place and time that we exist. We are your craftsmanship, made by you for a purpose. But God, I admit I need your help to keep my eyes on you. Because when I am looking at you, even in the, in the 
finite manner in which I can see you. God, I can literally say it as well with my soul. Because in the view of eternity, when my eyes are on you, God, there is peace. God, I pray this morning as we consider what it means to follow you this week, that you would spur each of our hearts on to address the issues when we see them, to confess when we are out of line, and to exalt you in worship in everything we do. In your name, amen.